Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you! More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all, with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. So, welcome to The Everyday Novelist. I am your host, J. Daniel Sawyer, and today I have Tony Weisskopf, one of the minds and the current uh, grand poobah of Bain Books, the only truly independent, more or less large publisher that I know of in at least the speculative fiction realm. Uh, welcome, Tony. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate you uh, asking me to come on and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you and hearing the feedback from your audience. So I have asked Tony on here because a couple of months ago, we had a series of questions about dealing with traditional publishers and what the contracts are like now and submission practices and also whether... Um, publishers generally curate an audience so if there's a uh, if there's an advantage to that a bane of the publisher other than maybe hard case crime that i know of and harlequin that actively curates an audience and so i thought tony would be the person to talk to about all of this <laughs> um tony what is the world like on the traditional side of the publishing fence these days Got well, you know, I, as you know, we, we live in we live in interesting publishing times, um, as well as just interesting times. So, the ability that we have at Bain um, to be small and to adapt is definitely being tested. We are distributed by Simon and Schuster, which is a large multinational company, and have been since yeah. our inception. Um, essentially, we were originally distributed by Pocket Books, but Pocket Books was soon engulfed by Simon & Schuster. So we've actually been at Simon & Schuster for a very long time now. So we get to enjoy the reach that a, a large publisher gives you, but we also enjoy the independence of being a smaller company um, where the uh, the primary is the publisher. It, it was, it was, and there are historical reasons for it um, mm -hmm. that, uh, that I won't necessarily go into, but are matter of record. But, uh, but yeah, it is, I, I think, really uh, close to an ideal situation. So at Bain, we haven't done a lot to change the way that we do things. Um, but the way that we do things, the way that Jim set things up, um, Jim Bain set things up, is, <clears throat> has always been... Um, very much centered on reader service, which is to say, you know, providing the reader with great stories. Um, and we, we found that the best way to do that is to treat the authors well. Um, so <laughs> we, we've, we've always approached the, 
the, the idea of creating stories as a partnership between the publisher and the author. And I think that's that's really where the publishing industry has um, has evolved to um, at this point to make that arrangement much more obvious than perhaps it was in the, the heyday of uh, traditional publishing. So how is it that you have curated such a massive and loyal audience that's loyal to the publisher over all these years? Well, you know, I, I, Jim Bain was a reader and I'm a reader and um, all of our editors are readers. Um, so we, we, we approach, we, we approach our, our selection of the books that we publish from the viewpoint of the person who is awake at 11 o'clock at night and looks around their house and there's nothing to read, right? Um, so <laughs> we, we're always looking for... Yeah, we all know that, right? You know, you have a million books and there's still nothing to read. So we, we always want to be pro- providing that book that, oh, yeah, I want to read that. Um, and so um, that's sort of the underlying um, impetus behind it is that we're looking for the kind of science fiction that we loved. And we've been able to find it over the years. And, and there's a, there is a large audience for that. The tagline that uh, that we have on our social media is the heart of science fiction and fantasy. So these are the kinds of stories that you think of when you think of science fiction and when you think of fantasy. And we've been true to that for nearly 40 years now. I went off um, in the indie direction because I got um, interest on a book from Del Rey. I said at one point, these are the rights that I'm not willing to sell. And they were reasonable things like I wasn't willing to sell perpetual rights, especially not for like a teensy little $5,000 <laughs> signing advance well, and, and stuff yeah, like per, that. They made their perpetual rights and shouldn't be written into any contract anywhere right. about anything at any time. And the reaction was, okay, goodbye. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll go over here and do my own thing then if, uh, if this is the way that uh, initial terms are are going right now in the marketplace. Is that still the case with most publishers? Is that the way that uh, things are at Bain or is, is the, the expectations with you guys a little different? How are things working? I, I think our contract is probably a little more generous to, uh, to authors and uh, it sounds like what Del Rey was offering you. But again, we haven't, we haven't changed from the way that we've done business all along. But um, but yeah, I, you know, for a first novel from somebody who is you know not a celebrity celebrity in some other field, right. uh, I, I would have to say that if you wanted to hold on to a slew of rights, um, we would we would probably also say you know thanks you know but. You know, good good luck oh, someplace. Yeah. I, I was happy to accept almost no advance. It's it's not the advance. If anybody doesn't think that you're not going to earn out a five thousand dollar advance, then they're not going to publish you in the first place. Fair enough. Um, so it's it's not about the advance; it's about looking forward to to future relationships. I mean, and then you're not you know, the fact is you're not going to make a lot of money off of that first book, most likely. Right, of course. Um, you're going to make a lot of money off of off later the, books and mm-hmm. and the continuing relationships. So. Yeah, um, it, it's the trade-off, right? That the trade-off between what a traditional publisher can bring you in terms of audience and um, marketplace share and attention from Hollywood, among other places, mm-hmm. um, that is very difficult as an indie to get on your own. Not impossible, 
obviously not impossible, but but harder. harder. Right. Because you don't have the you don't have the built-in set of relationships to work with and all of that. You don't, and it's not only that too. Is that that when you decide to publish independently, that means not only are you the writer, the creator of the IP, as they like to call it, uh, but you are also now the publisher, right? So you have to do all the things that a publisher is supposed to do. Yep. Now, I'm, I'm not defending the the large publishers of this. Work, I understand. Right? I, I, right? I can I can only tell you what we do. Um, but uh, what publishers are supposed to do, right, is proofread, copy edit, typeset, design a cover, market the book to bookstores, market the book to libraries, market the book to foreign markets, market the book to foreign agents, market the book to film agents, market the book um, for other uh, sub rights. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and they're supposed to advertise it. They're supposed to um, make sure that um, the book is available to anybody um, who is looking for the kind of stuff that your book is. And so if you're not going to have a publisher do all of that, that means you've you got to learn to do it all yourself. That's right. <laughs> um, and, and it takes a while. Start- yep. It takes a while. We might as well throw in accounting on top of that too, because you're mm-hmm. going to have to do accounting. Yeah. So there's a, there are a lot of functions that a publisher does that you take on when you become an independent publisher. Yep. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> and it takes a while <laughs> to learn all of them. Well, it takes a while, and, and there are things that you know you may may or may not have a better aptitude for. Um, yeah, that's you know, true. Some people are great at marketing. Some people are great at accounting. Some mm-hmm. people are great at aspects of it. Um, very few people are great at all aspects of it. Right. Um, and that's one of the advantages. I mean, working at Bain is that, you know, we've, we've put together a team of people who are just really, really good at what they do. And I'm very proud of our packaging. I'm very proud of our uh, editorial team and our production team. Well, they've been, they've been um, consistently excellent for the last uh, 30 odd years that you've been on my radar. Well, you know, there, you know, you can always point to, you know, you know, things that that aren't, aren't to your taste necessarily, but um, or things that we've messed up. I'm not saying we're perfect, but oh yeah, no, um, but but credit, uh, but credit, yeah, credit yeah. where it's due. You you guys have done such a spectacular job of branding and packaging over the years that it's astounding. Well, it's on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it would have to be, but I mean, some of your closer competitors even in the space, even when they do branding, they shift their house branding every three or four years. And so you don't get that that sense of continuity and of place and occasion that you do when you run into a Bain book or Hardcase is another publisher that does really well with this. It's funny you mentioned Hardcase because I, I, if, if it's the people that I'm thinking of, they came out of science fiction. Really? Um, so, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. I'll have to look yeah. more into their into their history. That's fascinating. What branding is simply is telling the reader, trust us. You can trust yeah. us. You can you can launch a beautiful brand with great packaging and wonderful design, but if you don't have that follow through, right, then it doesn't matter. And we do have the follow through, so readers know. Readers know that they they can come to Bain. And it's, and it's not about a certain genre. It's not mm-hmm. about um, a particular writer. It's about the quality of the story that you get. Because we publish a range of genres and we publish a range of writers. But the quality of the story, the satisfaction that you know that you're going to get when you finish one of our books. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think that's what the brand is about. Um, that's certainly what we're aiming for. Yeah, I think you pull it off fairly well. It's, well thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for doing it. Um, so you were talking about uh, marketing to bookstores and whatnot. What are trade channels looking like these 
days in terms of volume versus what's going through Amazon. I know I, what what I had understood about five or six years ago was that the uh, was that the ebook ramp up was really squeezing the trade channels. Is that still the case, or was I misinformed? Well. Uh... I mean, we're definitely in a state of flux. Um, so blanket statements, are, you know, are not really worth that much. Um, you can, you know, something that can be true for one retailer is not is, is not going to be true about another one, right? I meant from um, a publisher's angle. Um, from from a publisher's angle, it it, it 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 all ties down really to what that retailer is doing, right? Okay. Um, so I mean, in general, 2020 uh, was a terrible year for brick and mortar bookstores, right? Right, because um, no one was going out. No one was going out, and the stores weren't open. 2021 has seen a lot of recovery, and that's been great. Um, cool. In general, we've seen a replacement for the cheap disposable edition of the book go from the mass market to the ebook. Mm-hmm. Entirely predictable; it was predicted, uh, but we've seen sort of a baseline. Um, beyond which uh, it won't fall market for mass markets holding up. Um, there are people who still like mass markets. It still is a useful format and um, it's uh, and, it, and it's holding up at, 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 a, at, a, low, at a low level. Um, ebooks, I think, if not having found quite their saturation point, have are, are coming close to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're seeing the rise of the audiobook, right? Yep. And the audiobook is not sold in a bookstore. There are a few uh, places that you can find the CDs um, for bigger name uh, authors. I think David. Yeah, it's hard. It's get getting hard even to yeah. find printers for those anymore. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, so we're seeing the rise of the audio book as a, as a favorite format. Um, yeah, I personally think we are entering into a um, post-literate society. So audio book is, I think, going to be where you see growth in publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't know. Does, it, does, it, does, that, does that actually answer yeah. your question? <laughs> it gives me a lot more than I was expecting. There was uh, <laughs> one little nuance. Okay, so as a, as a small independent publisher, or in my case, as a micro publisher, because <laughs> I've only got three authors, there's a certain amount of investment uh, a lot of time, a moderate amount of money in pursuing trade channels, in uh, getting in the ABA, uh, was the red box and the white box deals and okay. cultivating relationships with bookstores and whatnot. And so I guess this is mostly for my benefit. We're finally hitting the point where we're starting to look at doing that seriously. And yeah. um, there is the open question of whether that whether that channel is, uh, is still vibrant enough to... Right. Well... You know, my, I, I'm very cynical about marketing. Okay, um, my 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 marketing people will tell you that my default is all marketing money is money pissed down a hole. Okay, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, right? In order to develop your brand, whether that be your author name or your publishing house name, you have to do something to be able right. to let the let the people out there know that you exist. You have to be able to find your market. Um, and if you intend to market to bookstores, you have to find some way to do that. Um, and um, I'm not going to endorse any one particular um, program, but you have to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to get the mass to notice you. Um, Eric Flint talks about it when we were um, opening, first opening up the Bain Free Library and talking about the problems of piracy for ebooks. Um, and Eric saw it very clearly that the problem for midless writers, and he included himself in that, even though he was a New York Times bestseller at that point, um, was that. Uh, it's the problem of, of obscurity, right? You know, how right. do you distinguish yourself from the hundreds of thousands of books that are that are out there? Yeah, um, and that are published every day now. The, the, the amount is astounding. Well, what are the numbers over at uh, KDP? Do you know? Do you uh, know my, my dad is about a year and a half old, but actually, God, that was two and a half years ago now. But it was about 100,000 new titles a day for a while. A day. A day. Jeez, wow. Um, wow. <laughs> I don't know if those numbers are still current, but uh, at least at the height of the boom, that's what was going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't imagine that they slacked off all that much. Um, so, yeah. hundred thousand. So, how, you know, 100,000 <laughs> new titles a day, let alone everything that's ever been in print, essentially. Yep. Um, Some healthy so. competition. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, how do you, how do you market your way out of that? Uh, I don't have any. I don't have any easy answers for that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Wish I did. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, so what's uh, what's coming down the line in the next year or two for Bain? Any big moves planned? What kind of new talent are you looking to recruit? What sort of oh, things boy. are you excited uh, about? All right. So I'm, I'm cheating here, and I'm looking at my 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 forthcoming uh, <laughs> brochures here. The catalog. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, catalogs, you know, catalogs are one thing that you need to, you know, to get it to, to get the attention of bookstores. Do they need to be printed? Most people don't these days. We still do because I think there are enough people out there who will pay more attention to this than they will just yet another PDF in their inbox. So, but in terms of what we have coming up, uh, we've got a new Tim Powers novel in January, Stolen Skies. I'm really excited Ooh, about that nice. one. We're yeah, yeah. We, Tim talks about uh, UFOs taking on UFOs as only Tim Powers can. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that, that one's really cool. Um, we've got uh, oh, a new novel by uh, John Ringo and an indie writer named Lydia Scherer uh, called Into the Real. Um, that one is really really cool. Um, that was uh, fun seeing. Uh, John team up with uh, with Lydia for this one. Uh, we've got a new uh, Wen Spencer um, Tinkerverse novel coming out in April called Harbinger. Um, we do have a first novel by a guy named uh, Michael Merceau, which is a pseudonym for those of you who are <coughs> fans of existentialist literature will recognize the name. <laughs> um, it's called the, the Deep Man is the title, and it reminded me strongly of Gordon Dixon's Dorsai novels. So... Um, Excited! It's cool. excited to see that. Um, we've got uh, a couple of novels, a, a fantasy duology that is complete in two um, by Jane Linsgold. Uh, it's a portal portal universe where um, we have the four ladies, who, no, the three ladies who showed up at the um, the book club on Valentine's Day get sucked into a portal. Um, and it turns out that they are the mentors that these three teenagers in this uh, in this fantasy world have called um, to mentor them in their quest. Um, so we have a nice play between the teenagers uh, who uh, in the fantasy world and the 
grouchy old ladies um, from our world um, getting caught up in adventures. So that one's kind of fun. Fun. Um, and very, very, yeah, very bookstore oriented. Uh, Sean Patrick Hazlitt, um, uh, former captain Sean Patrick Hazlitt of our U.S. Um, Army uh, has put together a weird World War IV original anthology. Uh, it's got a lot of really cool far future um, and not quite so far future weird military science fiction stories. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, we just got a lot of really cool stuff um, that is very much in the vein of things that if you liked what Bain has done before, you will enjoy what we have coming up coming up in the in the next few months. So. Uh, We've got more stuff by David Weber and more stuff by Eric Flint. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it is really exciting. Um, I can keep, I can keep going. Um, David, David, <laughs> You're having <laughs> David fun. Weber, keep going. Yeah, yeah. David Weber has been pairing up with some indie writers, um, Richard Fox being one of them. Oh, interesting. Uh, and uh, uh, we're getting some projects that David had applied back in the, early 90s when David was just first starting to um, get the attention of uh, the booksellers, even really before he had hit it big, the booksellers were like, this guy is really selling. We want to see more from him. Um, we, we got a series of proposals from him. We said, uh, we want you to think, think, think in line of a series um, and uh, we'll, we'll pick we'll pick one of these to be um, to be the next book that you write. And uh, so he gave us four really detailed outlines or series ideas, and we picked Honor Harrington. Um, so we were right. That was the best one. <laughs> so. It paid off very well for everyone involved. <laughs> it really did. Uh, but there were these other really cool things that he also wanted to write um, that he never has found the, the time um, to be able to do. So Richard is uh, Richard um, Fox is helping him complete the, uh, do, do you remember Path of the Fury? Um uh, that that novel that uh, that he did. Well, there were there were prequels to that um, uh, contracted for long long ago. So uh, he and Richard are writing those prequels. Uh, the first one of those uh, just came out called Governor. Fun. And um, uh, another another series um, we've already started publishing um, the uh, the Gordian Protocol novels, and he's been able to get those accomplished with uh, Jacob Holo, who's another uh, indie writer. Um, and Jacob's going to be writing solos in that uh, in that universe, and we're going to be publishing um, hopefully some some other books um, as well by Jacob. So uh, yeah, yeah, future future's looking bright. <laughs> Fantastic. Now I got to ask, you read Secrets of the Heinlein Juvenile. Did you enjoy yourself? <laughs> well, I read the first chapter that's available okay. on the Kickstarter. <laughs> and, oh, did, did, uh, yeah, I not, did I not send you a copy just for fun? Oh, you sent it to me as an ebook, and and I'm oh. you know I'm I am dead tree all the way. So, oh, um, oh okay. Um, also, I am up to here up to in, in uh, manuscript right. submissions. <laughs> um, maybe to hear yep. uh, <laughs> come up for breath every now and then um, but yeah so so I did take I did sneak a little bit and, and read the first chapter and it looks like uh, looks like it's a great project I think I told you in our emails is it's always very hard for me to think analytically about Heinlein mm -hmm. just because he is so good at what he does is sucking you in the story mm -hmm. so it's very hard to step back and go oh I see what you did there because you 
you, you don't want to see what he did there. He's just, you're just, oh, take me away, buddy. And he does. <laughs> so. he, he, well, what, what I found fascinating is that after the, the way I, the way I got around that is I basically had to read all of them, read and listen to all of them a couple thousand times yeah. so that you, know, you can, you can start to see through, but even then it doesn't ruin the magic. He does it so well that you can put the hood back on and take it back out for a drive, and it's the same experience all over again. Oh wow, wow! You, you know who else is, you can do that? Is Lois Bujol? Um, is that you know? I, I, I've I've read and had to read Lois uh, many many times for work purposes. Um, back in the day, there was a thing called checking the blues. The last stop before the printer actually printed the books was a um, they would take a photograph essentially of their plates um, mm -hmm. and they would send that to the publishers and the publishers would take a look at the plates and make sure that the plates weren't dirty or broken um, and it was your last chance to make you know to correct stupid typographical changes um, and it, it's the lowliest person in the office's job to check them <laughs> um, because it's boring. You have to check the last word on each page, the next word on the next right, page. And, widows <laughs> and, um, and yeah. these days, these days, it's just take it as given because there's no there's no intermediate steps between the computers, so they don't really do that. But, um, but. Uh, but it would always take me forever to do the Bujols because I would keep, you know, I would just start reading it. <laughs> so, oh, man. And, and Highline, Highline is the same way. You know, you just, you just fall into the story. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I have to say, as, as someone who does read a, their, their fair share of um, uh, not yet published authors, um, it's so nice to lean back and, and, Feel yourself in the hands of a professional um, and just go, oh, okay, this is lovely. <laughs> you, know, yep. you know, take me away. Um, Leah Miller, the Lee Aiden series. Um, every every time I get to read one of their books, you know, that's you know, that's exactly the feeling I get. It's like, oh, I'm back in the Aiden universe. Yay. And nice. just yeah. you just know you're gonna have a great time. Yeah, I've got that list of my own and the one I've I've been saving up uh, Stephen R. Donaldson books. Because he's one yeah. of those that does it to me, and I'm two or three behind. And this winter, I've got four very large novels to finish myself. So those are my carrots. I'm going to finish a novel, then read one of his. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. R R Roger Zelazny's Amber series was like that for me for a very long time. I was like, I'm saving these for a moment when I need them. <laughs> I've also and recently, just this just this past year, I can't believe it took me this long, I finally discovered Fred Pohl's novels. I always liked oh, his yeah. stories, but never cracked his novels, and I cracked Brainwave a couple of months ago, and I was blown away. So I think, I think I Brainwave working. is Paul, An Paul Anderson. Oh, Paul Anderson, you're right. Paul. Not Fred Pohl. Paul Anderson, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Paul Anderson is a great novel writer. Um, I mean, High Crusade is very short, but High Crusade is absolutely brilliant um and you know some and the thing about it paul henderson is that his, his quality was consistently good right up you know to the last book that he wrote oh um, fun i've got a lot of catching up to do with him then oh my god yeah yeah i mean although fred you know to be fair fred paul's novels are also very good <laughs> so, which which one of the two of them wrote the space merchants uh, that was fred paul oh, writing with several okay, I, yeah mm -hmm. right so yeah, yeah. so that's like it's because of the pole and the pole that I get them mixed up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I read Brainwave, I thought it was the same guy who wrote The Space Merchants, and I'm like, wow, what a range. <laughs> they were both fantastic. <laughs>
<laughs> well, they both do. They both do have huge. Again, to be fair, they both do have huge ranges, but they are you know slightly different. <laughs> yep. So, I'm not sure that Fred Pohl ever wrote fantasy. Come to think of it, um, he, he he was just such a science fiction person. He had such a science fiction brain that uh, you know he. he he could try to write other things, I think, but but it always would end up being science fiction. Um, I read his um, his political novel. He and uh, Cornwall wrote, wrote a uh, what's it called? election year, something like that. Um, uh, and uh, it, it still read very much like science fiction. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And he was he was he was a fun guy. Yeah, politics has a lot in common with science fiction, unfortunately. <laughs> But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, indeed. <laughs> oh well, I can't think. Of, I, I would love to keep talking with you forever because I'm having a blast. But I can't think of any other useful <laughs> questions off the top of my head. <laughs> What's the best way for writers to submit to you if they are so inclined? We do have uh, an open call, and that is uh, 365 days a year, 24 hours in a day. Um, you can go over to our website, uh, look for the writer's guidelines, and we do have a manuscript submission process uh, that you have to go through. It is not the simplest in the world, and, th th and that's, th that's, that, that's okay. <laughs> so, Intentional, um, obviously. That, it, it wasn't. It wasn't the primary intent, but it, it's it's not a bad filter, no. Uh, so yeah, check out our manuscript submission guidelines on Bain.com, and uh, and you'll see. Um, another thing that uh, that we don't we Bain don't run, but I Tony do run um, is uh, Bain's Bar, and uh, there's a form um, on the bar for um, if you're not sure if your manuscript is quite ready for a Bain audience, um, or if you're not sure if it's right for a Bain audience, you can uh, post your manuscript or parts of your manuscript up in that forum and Bain readers will let you know. Um, Bain editors do not go there. Um, so it will not harm your manuscript at all if you if you throw up an early version there and get feedback there. So um, nice. And you also uh, do you still run the podcast? I'm I've been out of the loop but we we, do, we do yeah um, Tony Daniel uh, started it when uh, when he came to Bain and and we've got over I realize five hundred episodes and never missed a week wow. once we started doing nice. it yeah. yeah yeah really really Great exciting um, we are about to lose Tony Daniel to Regnery Press which is oh no. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's it's a it's a great great move for him and a great fit. They do mostly nonfiction, and uh, we will be continuing the podcast. David F. Sharad, one of our younger editors, is going to take over as producer, and um, we uh, we will be releasing a press release in the next week or so, letting you know who our guest hosts will be. We've got some guest hosts lined up um, to take Tony's place, so uh, nice. so looking looking forward to introducing these guys to our audience and moving forward with the podcast. I didn't know that Tony did nonfiction. I first ran into his stuff on seeing your theater on the sci-fi channel. Right, right, was, right, right. Yeah, stories. yeah. Well, he's got a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of fingers in a lot of different pies. Uh, but yes, non nonfiction is, is one of the things that he does do and uh, both writing and editing and he's going to get a chance to grow in that direction. So it'll be fun. Nice. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on tony and uh i hope that those of you listening have gotten some of the questions answered that i was unable to answer 
Um, Bain has a spectacular reputation among all the most cynical people that I know, which is hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a pleasure to meet you and to get to know you a little bit. Well, my, my, my pleasure is all mine, Dan. I hope I can come back and we can talk about uh, Heinlein Juveniles at some point. I would love to. Right. Thank you very much. My pleasure. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.